0: I'm Tamvin Nasir and this is Leadership Biz Cafe, a podcast that provides insights and tools to help leaders take on the challenges and opportunities found in leading today's workplaces. Leadership Biz Cafe is brought to you by Tanvin Nasir Leadership, our leadership firm that offers keynotes and corporate trainings in both in-person and virtual settings that will help you to improve the way you lead and guide your organization's growth and future successes. Now, if you've been enjoying the insights I've been sharing here on my podcast and would be interested in having me expand on them with your organization, either through a keynote or a workshop for an upcoming event, I'd like to invite you to fill out the contact form on our website at TanvirNasir.com so we can start that discussion. You can also check out the speaking and workshop pages on our company website to learn more about my speaking services and the kinds of topics I cover. And now I'd like to introduce my guest for this episode, Steve Curtin. After a 20 year career at Marriott International working in operations, human resources, sales and marketing, Steve launched his own consulting company with the mission to influence the quality of customer service that is delivered by service providers and enjoyed by customers. That work continues In his latest book, The Revelation Conversation, inspire greater employee engagement by connecting to purpose, which provides an interesting approach to understanding how leaders can create purpose-led work in their organization. Hi, Steve. Welcome to the Leadership Biz
1: Cafe. Well, thank you, Tanbir, for having me on.
0: To start things off here, Steve, I have to tell you the messaging in your book around purpose really resonated with me because it's not only the focus of my TED talk, but in a number of my leadership keynotes, I address the value and benefit organizations gain by tapping into their employees' sense of purpose. And I really enjoyed in your book how you clarify things around purpose and work because from my conversations with leaders at all levels, this is something many of them struggle with of how to help their employees find purpose in what they do and of course, these conversations today about quiet quitting and the great resignation are only compounding these worries. That's why I appreciate how you create these clear boundaries around what you call your life purpose and your work purpose, as well as between job function and job purpose. So, to help frame our conversation today, Steve, could you explain the difference between life purpose and work purpose? And what do you mean by job function and job purpose?
1: Yeah, well, um you know, I believe that we're on these, uh, two, uh, two journeys, you know, from birth really. And, uh, you know, there's, there's one where we're in this sort of existential pursuit of self-discovery in terms of our life purpose. And this is something that's obviously very private. It's something that's singular really, um, in that my life purpose is going to be unique, um, like a fingerprint uh, from anybody else's life purpose. And in the book, I contrast that purpose uh, with one's vocational purpose, their purpose at work. And this is um, rather than a a pursuit of self-discovery, this is a pursuit of self-improvement. And this is the professional journey that we're on uh, with others, as opposed to it being a private journey, unless we choose to share it. the uh, professional uh, journey is public and it can be observed uh, by our managers by leaders by mentors by our peers that's the distinction between those two journeys and the reason that i make it up front early in the book is that there are a number of articles on on organizational purpose or finding your purpose at work and what i've found them to do is to sort of meld or or conflate those two purposes as though they should be in alignment, or there should be an expectation that if you found vocational nirvana, they're in alignment. And I just don't think that's practical,
0: and I don't think that's the case. So we've looked at understanding that there's these two parallels of life purpose and work purpose, but you also go and say, take it one step further and say, yeah, but you also have to understand that there's also a difference between our job function and our job purpose. So what do you mean by that, Steve?
1: Well, you know, I look at the totality of a job role, and I've worked in human resources uh, for many years, and I've been around a lot of job designs and job descriptions, and I tended to view, for many years, I tended to view positions in terms of the knowledge and the skills that were required of that position. In other words, the bullet points that you would expect to find on any job description. And what I found is that there is a third part and a second dimension to every job role uh, apart from job functions, which are possessing adequate job knowledge and the ability to demonstrate sufficient job skills. That's what we're all used to. That's what we're all familiar with. And frankly, this is what employees excel at. They possess adequate job knowledge. They demonstrate sufficient job skills. So by extension, uh, they're competent. and, And that's job function. Job purpose is this other part, this other dimension of every job role, uh, which contains the single highest priority of that job role, and that's reflected by the employee in terms of actions and behaviors that are purposeful, that are value-driven in support of that single highest priority.
0: You know, Steve, I have to tell you, this is such an important distinction you're making here because I think many leaders get tripped up by focusing more on what their employees do and then saying, how can I help my employees feel a sense of purpose just from doing tasks X instead of asking the question why? But this distinction helps clarify that it's not about what you do on a day-to-day basis. Rather, it's about your employees having a clear understanding of why they're doing what they do. And as you just said, what's their single highest priority? Correct.
1: Yeah. That needs to be articulated and that shouldn't be left to the employee to determine because frankly, if it is, they won't even think about it. Uh, What they'll think about is what they are assessed on and what they're compensated for. And that brings them right back to the bullet points in their job description. Um, You know, there's a statistic in the book. It's a Gallup statistic that suggests 65% of U.S. workers claim to have received no performance-based feedback from their immediate supervisor in the previous 12 months. Uh, That's shocking to me. But uh, the point I want to make is that when employees do receive performance-based feedback from their supervisor, and and that's uh, very inconsistent, sadly, but when they do receive it, It almost always has to do with job functions. And because that's what I'm receiving feedback on, um, you know, they say what gets uh, measured gets done. Uh, That's what I tend to focus on as a frontline hourly employee.
0: When you look at the rising concerns leaders have, not just about the great resignation and quiet quitting, but also a talent shortage, it's clear what's needed here is to create more connections and clarity for people to understand their job's purpose. So, Steve, why aren't leaders focusing as much, if not more, on how to connect employees to their job purpose as they are right now in strategies to get people back in the office?
1: Well, in my experience, Tanvir, uh, managers with whom I've worked, uh, very effective, very successful operational managers, and just really managers at large, um tend to focus on job functions because that's what's visible, and that's what's concrete. Um, job purpose is poorly defined, you know, if it's defined at all. and the thing the thing is there are really no uh, there are no tools um, There are no mechanisms in place for managers, for immediate supervisors, for many leaders. Uh, to bump into, to run into a conversation about job purpose. Uh, That was one of the major uh, impetuses for the book, the Revelation conversation, is to present that tool and to present that framework for a one-on-one conversation so that they would create, run into opportunities to talk about job purpose because without them, uh, job purpose is really left to chance And job functions take center stage.
0: So, Steve, let's explore that tool. That's the basis of your book, this revelation conversation, where our goal is to help employees understand what their single highest priority at work is. But before we could do that, we as leaders need to get more clear about how we understand our employees role within our team. And there's a way leaders can accomplish this by asking a series of four questions that you describe in your book. So, Steve, could you share not only what these four questions are, but how you came about identifying them as being key to helping leaders shift their focus from solely looking at their employees' job functions to also ensuring they're providing clarity around what their employees' job purpose is?
1: Yeah, well, uh, managers, supervisors, uh, leaders at most sophisticated organizations have an organizational purpose. It's already been articulated, uh, probably by management levels above them. Um, so there's a purpose in place. They may not call it a purpose statement. They may call it a mission statement or a vision statement uh, or some other name, but there, um, there is a statement that exists. The problem is what I've found is that uh, most managers and most organizations don't know what that statement says. Um, that's a problem. So that's why the first question is, what is my purpose at work? So that really challenges um, managers to ask that question. And if they can answer it, great. Most of them can't. The second question, what values guide my actions and behaviors at work? Uh, Same here. Most sophisticated organizations have developed a set, usually, of performative or imitative uh, values and it resides on the about page of their website. Maybe it's on a screensaver. Maybe it's in the employee handbook or the annual report if it's a public company. Um, The the point isn't that they don't exist. Uh, The point is that nobody knows what they are. So again, we're right back to where we were with the guiding statement. Most managers and most organizations cannot articulate that list. And if they can articulate the list, great. <laughs> um, teamwork, customer service, um, integrity. Um, these are the types of imitative core values that we tend to see on the about page of many websites where there has not been any additional effort put into interpreting how the organization um, understands that value. Uh, So I, I like to see a value followed by a statement, an interpretive statement that demonstrates this is how we interpret that value in our organization. And then a third column that is a behavioral column that says Here's the value in the first column. Here's how we interpret it in the middle column. And then this third value, here's how we apply it in the workplace. These are the actions and the behaviors. Um, uh, This is the decision-making that is made in conjunction with that deeply held belief that we've articulated. So it takes it from being an an imitative uh, word or set of words and makes it real in the daily real world of work of employees? So that's the second and third question. The third question is what purposeful actions and behaviors do I exhibit at work? That's been satisfied by that third column. And then the fourth question is what is my team's aspirational goal? And what the aspirational goal does is it describes a desired eventuality. It speaks to the pursuit of an ideal future state or destination for the the team, for the work group.
0: You know, Steve, I'd like to go back to that first question, what is my purpose at work? Because I love the point you make in your book that reflects what you've been saying at the beginning of our conversation, that the answer to this needs to be quantifiable, right? That's the reason why leaders will tend to focus more on the job functions or job purpose. It's because job functions we can measure. And I think the fact that we're saying you have to be able to answer this question with a quantifiable answer I think this helps the fact of why so many leaders struggle with creating purpose-led work for their employees is because there's this tendency to think of it in fuzzy terms, almost like purpose is something you can't see, but you can feel it. And so I think recognizing that your answer to this first question requires something that you can measure and monitor really helps to lower the resistance to this because now we're talking about something, both I as a leader... And my employee can measure and understand the same way. And I think it's also extremely helpful that the answer to this question also has to be personally meaningful to your employee's role within the team. You mentioned that you can't have this conversation on your own. You have to discuss it with your employee because we're not talking about something that's X number of degrees removed from an employee's responsibilities, but that there's a direct correlation between what they do and what their purpose at work is.
1: Yeah, well, I think it's important when you're determining what the purpose of the job role is that you uh, go beyond um, the obvious, you know, which has more to do with delivery and execution than anything else, and that you continue asking the question why multiple times to get at the true, uh, the true value, the true contribution, uh, the true meaning and purpose of the job role. And the example that I use in the book, you know, my backgrounds with uh, Marriott hotels, the example I use in the book is the illustration of the housekeeper, who initially, if you were to ask the housekeeper why he or she does what they do, um, they would probably say that their uh, highest priority is to provide a clean guest room but by engaging them in a uh, dialogue, asking them why, why do we provide a clean guest room? Well, to satisfy the guests. Well, why do we want to satisfy the guests? Well, so that they come back. Well, why do we want them to come back? You begin asking these questions and you learn that the, the true, the single highest priority of the housekeeper is not only to provide a clean room, but to create a loyal guest. Uh, That's a guest who's less price sensitive. That's a guest with higher uh, return and repurchase rates. Uh, That's a guest who's responsible for 80 to 90% of the positive word of mouth about that hotel or about that brand.
0: Yeah, and I love that example that you share in your book about the housekeeping people and how we really drill down and make it really clear what their job purpose is so they can see concretely in everything they're doing as a day-to-day task is serving to feed that job purpose.
1: Correct. And, and you know, that brings up a good point that it's not, it's not that job function should be marginalized in the pursuit of job essence. Uh, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it's not zero sum. It's not one or the other. Um, there there tends to be sort of a myopic pursuit of job functions in most organizations that I interface with. And what I'm saying is that they need to devote uh, more time to job essence, the single highest priority. They need to devote more time uh, to purpose at work. They need to devote more time to values-based decision-making at work and not just uh, as I said, myopically focus on the expected, um, the job functions, uh, the duties and tasks uh, that enable execution and delivery of products and
0: services. I absolutely agree with you. Okay, Steve, so we've done our homework and going through these four questions to help us better understand and distinguish our employees' job function from their job purpose. So now I'd like to talk about having a revelation conversation with my employee so, start off, what is a revelation conversation and how does it differ from interactions I'm currently having with my employees?
1: Well, the revelation conversation is a framework for an immediate supervisor to engage his or her direct reports in an informal conversation about organizational purpose, about job purpose, about uh, standards about, uh, core values. Um, and this is a conversation that while I provide the opening question in the book, this is a conversation that is, uh, organic. Um, it's, it's natural in the sense that it can go a lot of different directions and that's okay. Um, But to your earlier point, I mean, we're just now getting, you know, we're 20 minutes into the call here. We're just now getting to the Revelation conversation because of the lead up. Uh, from chapters uh, one, two, and three, where we talked about those two journeys we talked about. We make this distinction between function and essence. We ask the four questions. This is all done to gird the manager, to provide the manager, the immediate supervisor, with a foundation from which to initiate the revelation conversation. And that first question is this, just simply approaching a direct report and saying, would you describe for me, from your perspective, your job role? what your job entails. That's the question. And then you go silent and you allow the direct report. They'll probably ask you to repeat the question. Uh, So you can repeat the question, but then you go silent. And Tanvir, what do you think they'll say in response to the question, would you describe for me from your perspective, your job role, what your job entails?
0: Oh, I know because I'm thinking most people are probably thinking the same thing. If I were to ask you that question, you're going to think about the things you're doing on a daily or weekly basis. Oh, I have to make sure I take care of this problem. I have to make sure, for example, maybe I'm in charge of inventory. So I got to keep track of different orders, make sure our purchase orders is up to date. If any clients are negligent on following up on payments, I got to follow up on them and so forth. But that's not what we're talking about here, is it, Steve?
1: Uh, that is not what we're talking about, but you're exactly right. That's what you'll hear. You will hear a litany of job functions. You will hear a litany of uh, bullet points uh, from the job description. You will hear what you would expect to hear when you pose that question. And remember, the question isn't, tell me what you do. Uh, The question is, would you describe for me from your perspective, your job role, what your job entails? So we're talking about the totality of the job role and all they've done is giving you a set of job functions. They've completely excluded job essence and job purpose. So now this is your opportunity as the immediate supervisor to say, hey, listen, and validate that list. Because believe me, everything they. said is important. We're not not here to shame them. We're not here to chastise them and say, I can't believe that everything you mentioned is just job functions. Don't you know about job essence? Don't you know about the single highest priority of your job role? How long have you worked here? That's not what this conversation is about. It's to validate what it is that they said, because as I said, it's not zero sum. Everything they've said is vital. But then after you hear that list and after you validated that list, you have to say, hey, listen, Everything you've said is important, but I didn't hear anything about the second dimension of your job role. And if this is how you would define the totality of your job role, then I, your supervisor, have explained your job to you incompletely. There's this whole other dimension of your job role, which is job essence. And then they're going to say, what's job essence? (laughs) And then you're going to say, well, job essence it's your single highest priority at work. And then they're going to say, what's that? <laughs> and and this is really where the magic happens, because now you can start talking constructively about job purpose, which they have, they're completely unaware of what their single highest priority is. This is your opportunity to enlighten them. This is why we call it the revelation conversation.
0: There's two things I like about this revelation conversation. The first thing you mentioned briefly is how you can adapt it to your own communication style that you don't have to use a specific terminology. I know in the example you're giving, you know, you're talking about job essence. People are like, well, what is all these terminologies, right? But as you point out in your book, you just have to ensure that in the conversation, you're addressing those three primary objectives of making sure the employees understand, okay, what's the knowledge you need to do this job? What are the skills you are bringing to the job, which they pretty much already know, but then articulating what that job purpose is. Then making sure they see what's the connection between my job function, what I do every day and that job purpose, so that ultimately we're inspiring greater engagement in people to the work they do, that they're self-motivated. You don't have to be the cheerleader. They're their own cheerleader because they get what their purpose at work is and what they are contributing in a meaningful fashion. And the other aspect that I really appreciate about this kind of conversation is how it can be had both in person or virtually. Because as we're seeing right now, there's a lot of pushback from employers to offer flexible work options because the assumption is that we can't have these kinds of conversations unless we're face-to-face. So I'm just wondering though, Steve, about the follow-through. Because again, one of the common assumptions I hear from leaders is that if I do this new approach once, I'm good to go and I can go back to focusing on what I was doing before, Which is why I'm not surprised that we're seeing so many organizations insisting on a return to office policy, because I think many leaders get stuck in these ruts of this is how I'm used to doing things, or I have all these other issues that require my attention. So in the case of this revelation conversation, I'll have it once, and then my employee knows what to do and what the job purpose is, and now I don't have to think about it anymore. But I know that's not the case because we're talking about a conversation, not a one-off discussion. So, Steve, could you help us understand what comes next with the understandable caveat that given how each revelation conversation is going to be unique, the follow-through is also going to vary from employee to employee?
1: Okay. Well, well yes. Uh, as, as you summarize so eloquently, the, the purpose of the revelation conversation is to reveal the totality of the job rule. So in other words, um, most frontline employees are very familiar and, and quite competent in the areas of possessing adequate job knowledge and demonstrating sufficient job skills. First objective of the revelation conversation is to reveal the totality of the job role, which includes not only job knowledge and job skills, but also job purpose. The second objective is to connect an employee's daily work activities to the single highest Uh, priority of the job role. In other words, to connect their daily job responsibilities in their real world of work uh, to the higher purpose of their job role. And then the the third objective is to, in doing so, uh, to create a situation where you have inspired greater employee engagement uh, by connecting to the higher uh, purpose of their job role. And so what happens next? Well, you know, I'll just, I'll give you an illustration. I'll give you an example of how it it might work in an area that most of your listeners um, have some experience with, and and that is a coffee shop. So just think of your favorite coffee emporium um, that you frequent uh, for coffee or tea, and think about the role of a, a barista, an employee in that coffee shop, Uh, who works behind the espresso bar, let's say, a barista. And let's say that a a customer has gone in and they've ordered a macchiato. Well, that barista has to have adequate job knowledge and be able to demonstrate sufficient job skills. So that barista has to know what goes into a macchiato. They have to know how to make it, you know, to the proper temperature um, according to the shop standards and then deliver that uh, to uh, to the guest. And they may have point of sale, Responsibilities as well, where they need to be able to run the POS and acquire a valid method of payment, issue a receipt, whatever the protocol is. So they need to be able to do all that in order to be competent. But let's say that you are the general manager of this coffee emporium and you've made it clear to this barista and to every employee that our single highest priority is not to make a coffee beverage. Uh, That's important. Remember, it's not zero sum. We've got to do that extremely well. But our single highest priority is to create a connection with each customer. So the barista knowing that as he or she uh, hands over the uh, macchiato to the guest who's waiting at the end of the bar, as he hands that drink to the guest, he might say, "Uh, here's your macchiato. Did you know that macchiato is Italian for marked or stained? your espresso has been marked with a teaspoon of milk. In doing that, the barista, without taking any extra time uh, beyond a few seconds, has established a connection with that customer that transcended the typical transaction you might expect during the morning rush hour when ordering a macchiato at most typical coffee shops. That's the difference. Now that's a behavioral example. Let me give you one other example that involves an action. And I think this is, you know, I'm going to spend a little time on this because this is really where the, uh, you know, proverbial rubber meets the road for your listeners in terms of moving beyond theory and abstraction into uh, concrete application. So here's another example. Uh, the the barista demonstrated the behavior of sharing unique knowledge. Um, Behaviors cannot be mandated. You can't force people to smile. You can't force them to express genuine interest. You can't force them to offer a sincere and specific compliment. You can't force people to convey authentic enthusiasm. You can't force them to care. Uh, These are uh, volitional choices that are made by independent human beings. Now, actions, you can mandate. And so let me give you an example. um, and, And we'll move out of a coffee emporium into a full service restaurant. And let's say that the general manager of the full service restaurant has set the single highest priority, the job purpose of the job role is to surprise and delight each guest. And the general manager wants to make sure that this happens as a matter of course. He doesn't want to leave it to chance or she doesn't want to leave it to chance. And so what the server does is when the server uh, welcomes four guests into the hotel and they're seated, uh, prior to taking orders, uh, the server might, uh, for instance, bring, after the water's come and before orders are taken, might bring an amuse-bouche, a chef's taste of coconut curry soup to the table. So the four guests are surprised and delighted by this action, which happens as a matter of course. It wasn't left to chance. It wasn't volitional. (laughs) Um, It is a mandatory step in the process of table service And as a result of doing that, it fulfills the general manager's single highest priority of each job role, including the server, which is to surprise and delight each guest. And then look at the fallout from this in in a positive way. You have an amuse-bouche, sure there is a food cost associated with a complimentary chef's taste, but ordinarily if the coconut curry soup is good, that's gonna lead to increased sales. So increased average check. for cups and bowls of coconut curry soup. What else is that gonna do? Well, that's gonna drive the check. It's gonna also drive the gratuity. In the United States where servers are paid gratuities, uh, they're going to get you know, 20% on average of something um, something more. Um, so this is beneficial. So sales increase, profits increase, gratuities increase. And the guests have been surprised and delighted by this unexpected amuse-bouche. So, overall satisfaction is increased everybody
0: wins so steve i want to circle back to something we discussed earlier in our conversation and that is how purpose led work doesn't have to be this fuzzy abstract concept rather it needs to be something quantitative that you can track and measure so both you and your employee can assess how well they're connecting their job functions to their job purpose yeah so i was wondering now that we've discussed what the revelation conversation is and how to conduct them and now they're giving these examples of actions and behaviors that reflect it. Yeah. How do we now go about creating metrics or KPIs or whatever you use to help us measure and track what we're putting into place and how it's driving business outcomes?
1: Well, let, let me give you a retail example of of how we've actually uh, done this. Um, this is a, a multinational global retailer. Uh, billion dollar plus retailer. Um, and what their internal KPIs, what their internal uh, metrics from their own uh, uh, customer surveys uh, to, uh, shared, what, what they gleaned from this information is that um, customers, and I'm going from recall now, um, customers, it was an 18 point increase that customers, when they encountered an employee on the sales floor, there was an 18% increase in intent to recommend and overall satisfaction. They also found that if these customers encountered a representative on the sales floor, that their average basket, their average spend increased by 28%. And if they could recall the individual's name, if they um, would rate it as a friendly encounter or an encounter with a friendly employee and they were satisfied with the employee's friendliness, then spending went from an increase of 28% to an increase of 31%, so a 3% premium there. So all of these positive outcomes from encountering an employee on the sales floor in a retail environment. But here's another statistic that the internal research suggested. And it was this, 47% of customers encountered an employee on the sales floor. So with all of the positive benefits of encountering an employee on the sales floor, why doesn't every customer encounter an employee on the sales floor? This is the question we were asking. So this gets uh, back around to uh, actions and behaviors that you talked about. So uh, what we did was we brainstormed a list of ways that we could encounter someone by design. And and we refer to it as a chance encounter by design, which is sort of a, a set of contradictory terms. But it worked well. What we found is that if we Uh, were intentional about getting a basket or a cart for somebody who had multiple pieces of merchandise, maybe slung over one arm, um, that 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 was a positive. If we saw somebody with a furrowed brow who appeared to be looking for something, um, we would engage them. So this required the behavior of being observant, uh, paying attention to detail, taking initiative, we saw the correlation with names. Not everybody was wearing name badges. Well, now all of a sudden, it's part of the uniform standard. Everybody was wearing a name badge. Not only were they wearing a name badge, they were offering their name during interactions. So all of these things were happening intentionally by design. And the cumulative effect of this is that there, there were more encounters with customers on the retail floor, which led to uh, more people. Uh, uh, professing a a higher intent to recommend, right, which would be a nine or a ten on that net promoter scale question, Um, increased spending, you know, by virtue of the twenty to 31 percent spending as a result of creating sort of manufacturing an environment where these behaviors and actions occurred deliberately
0: by design. So, Steve, to round out our conversation for that leader who's been listening to us and who's now motivated and wants to add this to their leadership approach, how can they get started? And more importantly, what do they need to keep an eye on to keep these revelation conversations going?
1: Yeah. Well, you, you asked earlier, you know, what do we do? Do we have the conversation and then it's done? Mm -hmm. Um, well, well, no, You, you, you have the conversation and, um, you, what you do is you, you create an awareness as we talked about, you know, the three objectives you've revealed the totality of the job role for many direct reports, the scales are going to fall from their eyes. I mean, they will not have seen the, the totality of their job role as anything other than possessing adequate job knowledge and demonstrating sufficient job skills. So the fact that there is a third or a second dimension of every job role and a third part of every uh, job role, which is job essence and the higher purpose of the job role, that's going to be a real eye-opener. And then when you make these connections by using examples, I mean, I've used examples from a coffee shop, from a restaurant, uh, from a retail setting. These are all actions and behaviors that are intentional. As I said, they, they happen by design. They can also be, uh, to our earlier discussion, they could be tracked and measured as KPIs. A lot of people see KPIs as things like net promoter score, overall satisfaction, average basket, and they are, but those are all lagging KPIs, right? Lagging key performance indicators. There are also leading KPIs, uh, leading key performance indicators such as uh, getting a cart for a guest, such as offering a name during an interaction, Uh, such as a leading indicator would be serving in a moose bouche. You know, the lagging indicator is increased sales of cups and bowls of the soup du jour. Um, So there are both leading and lagging indicators. So those, in order to keep this going, those need to be on a, on a scoreboard, on a whiteboard, um, whatever you call it, these need to be tracked, uh, they need to be measured, they need to be correlated, these leading indicators with lagging indicators, so that the employees who are performing these actions and behaviors um, in real time uh, with actual uh, customers can see the fruits of their labor on the whiteboard and they can be acknowledged, they can be validated, they can be celebrated. And the other thing that uh, managers and supervisors can do is in follow-up to the revelation conversation, they could ask questions such as, have you made any more connections between what you do at work and why you do it? Because that was a part of your initial conversation. Or maybe they'll ask, have you thought about anything we can do differently to support our purpose? Or maybe they'll ask, have you identified anything we're doing that contradicts our purpose? Or or maybe they'll ask an open-ended question like, what questions do you have related to our conversation about purpose at work? So what's important is that we continue to have the conversation. It only takes five minutes a day. And as James Clear made uh, clear, (laughs) I didn't plan on that. (laughs) But as the point he made in Atomic Habits is you don't have to invest, you know, four and a half hours a day, on an improvement process. If you just have five minutes, that's basically one percent. Four point eight minutes uh, is one percent of an eight-hour workday. And if you've got around five minutes to initiate this conversation and to follow up on it, and you do that daily, if you believe in the thesis of the aggregation of marginal gains that uh, James Clear talks about in his book, Atomic Habits, then you'll understand that um, you can be 38% better. You could have improved your performance by 38% over the course of 365 days. So I would use that as encouragement uh, to just go out and try it.
0: Well, as I said at the beginning of our conversation, Steve, I really appreciate how You helped to both clarify and make more tangible this notion of purpose-led work. And I'm glad we had the chance to speak about your book, as I think it's these kinds of conversations leaders need to be having with their employees, not only to keep them engaged and self-motivated to do their best work, but to help your organization have a better chance of achieving its business objectives. So thanks for the insightful conversation on this, Steve. You bet. Thank you for the opportunity, Tanvir. Now, if you'd like to learn more about Steve's book and his work, Check out the show notes for this episode on our podcast page at tavernasir.comslash LBC. And if you enjoyed this episode or other episodes of my podcast, I'd like to ask you a favor. Could you take a moment here to just quickly rate and review my podcast on your favorite streaming platform? It's an easy way for you to help support our podcast and help other leaders discover it too, so that they too can benefit from how to improve their leadership craft. I'm Tavi Nasir and you've been listening to Leadership Biz Cafe.